Hello friends, how's it going? Matt here, back with another episode of Looking Sideways, the show where I look at life through the lens of surfing, snowboarding, skateboarding and other related endeavours. How's everybody doing out there? Hope you're good. Thanks for tuning into this episode. So I've got my friend Gavin Fernie-Jones on the podcast this week for what I think is one of the most insightful and important conversations I've hosted all year, really. Gavin lives in the French Alps, where he's been for the last 10 years or so. It's where we met. We met in, um, I'm going to say, February 2020, my last trip before COVID, actually. We had a great day riding around the Three Valleys, got chatting, stayed in touch. And I've watched as uh, over the last few years, Gav's been slowly but surely changed his life in response to the climate crisis that he can see unfolding around him in his local environment and community. He's changed his job. He started a local community movement called Reaction. He's embraced a more mindful and purposeful way of life and he's begun trying to actively live life as a citizen rather than a consumer. And I've watched as Gav has quietly begun to expound these ideas in public. I've been chatting to him on and off about a lot of these themes over the last few years. And obviously I've been exploring a lot of these themes myself through Looking Sideways, especially Type 2 and conversations with people such as Nick Hayes at Nieski Britain. Now, I think it's important stuff, this, which is one of the reasons I wanted to speak to Gav for the show, even though he really wasn't that keen. In one of my recent chats with Gav, weirdly, we seem to, um, you know, swap messages on LinkedIn more than any other platform, but there you go. I said to him that I thought he was probably 15 years ahead of the debate in many ways, which is something that I say to him in this conversation as well, which he did laugh at. But I do believe it's true because if you believe the climate science, which I personally do, change is inevitably coming. And at the moment, not many of us are really doing anything significant to meet this change other than the very, very token stuff. Recycling, taking coffee cups to the coffee place. You know, you might be carbon offsetting. You might be doing... It's the bare minimum though, really. And I don't really believe personally that that is going to be that fit for purpose. Um, There's also the fact that this type of activism, if you like, that Gav is participating in, along with his peers, local, grassroots, community-based, circular, symbolic, undeniably impactful, is the type of quietly revolutionary approach that I personally believe is going to be essential, um, in the same way that direct action will be essential alongside other forms of activism, and that legislative change will be necessary if we're really going to meet this challenge. Now, I am tangentially connected to what you might call the wider activism movement um, through my work through the kind of world that I operate in it's become a proper thing these days and I've got to be honest much of it leaves me very very cold seems to me to be an echo chamber full of a lot of jargon a lot of impenetrable language Um, communication seems to be really poor activism seems to be an excuse to be some kind of personal journey there's a lot of courses that people can go on where they're encouraged to explore what activism means to them usually it's very expensive courses courses i must say um there's also this whole thread of like activism as a business opportunity which particularly leaves me cold um as opposed to a genuine attempt to invoke change that will benefit everybody and not just those that trade in this same wonky jargon now i know that isn't going to make me popular um that last paragraph but i do feel this I do feel that this is kind of true. I do feel that most climate activism is hopelessly echo chambered and doesn't really even make any attempt to persuade um, the, you know, the rest of people who aren't in that little world that they should give a fuck about this, if you'll pardon the language. Um, And for me, this type of purposeful work Gavin and his peers are undertaking is indeed 
where the real revolution should probably happen, where the work has an impact on real people is forward thinking, inclusive, and is attempting to help actual communities address the actual challenges they're going to face. Um, that's why I wanted to do this interview. I wanted more people to hear about the work of Gav and Reaction and to hear about the changes that Gav's made. I also wanted to debate some of these issues I've been thinking about more and more over the last few years. So that's what we did. I enjoyed it very much. Um, now, inevitably, because Gav is just an ordinary bloke rather than a massive name, these episodes do tend to get much less traction. But I'm hoping if you did give this, give this a listen, it'll give you as much food for thought as it did me. As ever, I would love to hear what you think, either on Instagram or Substack. I will be back at the end um, for a very, very short outro because I'm knackered. But in the meantime, here's me and Gav Fernie-Jones of Reaction Citizen. Enjoy. There we go. We're recording. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Yeah. I'm, uh, life is full. <laughs> like life is max. full. Life is full. I've got uh, two young children. One is two and a half called Noah and one is six months old called Kai. Um, Noah slept like a dream. Kai is the polar opposite and he, he wakes up every 45 minutes, but it's good. <laughs> So you're in the you're right in the trenches. You're right in the thick of it. Um, yeah. I day it feels like I'm in the thick of it. Like the last couple of weeks he's had teething, he's had a bit of illness, he's literally woke up every forty five minutes. So it's been yeah, it's been an interesting couple of weeks really. Um yeah. so yeah, it's quite full at the minute and yeah, just learning that you have to start thinking about a whole different set of things when you just want to leave the house or you want to take your child to crash in the morning like the crasher is very particular if you forget something you're gonna to have to come back and get it um so yeah it's been a big change yeah yeah and um if you want to record a podcast at uh, six o'clock in the evening as well <laughs> i imagine <laughs> there's every chance that one of them might join us uh so i apologize if he does he, yeah no worries no yeah. worries so like uh, you know obviously we're talking middle of november and everybody is starting to um do the old classic like winter is coming uh you know all those posts are happening there's people mm. there's, there's people in the mountains posting like the pit you know the classic like dustings of snow on peaks and and all that and like i've got friends who started split boarding and blah 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 like so how how do you um is that changed for you that like that do you, how do you greet how do you greet the beginning of winter these days with the same innocent pleasure of like where are we get to go skiing or are you are you a bit more like yeah that's kind of cool but you know there's more stuff going on than that really yeah i think working this season as well like i've worked a seasonal job now for 10 years in there i've owned a, a couple of ski boot shops out here and that takes up a lot of your time running those spaces during during the winter um they're quite stressful like we we work for like five months a year and that's where we cram all our work in so actually this winter um i'm more relaxed and i'm looking forward to it more than ever because i don't own those those ski shops anymore um yeah. from like like an overall perspective of how i feel um the space that i've changed i live in has changed so much in the last 15 years that it's kind of hard to feel the same affinity with the scuba resort that I would have done when I started out. And I've changed as well. Maybe that's a bit of growing up um, and yeah. valuing different things. But, you know, like it's it's a very, very different place to 15 years ago. Um, yeah. So 
I guess, I mean, that, that almost changes year by year. And I think COVID has accelerated that a bit because um, the skiing has become really, really quite expensive now. So the people that yeah. have changed quite drastically and, and someone was just celebrating yesterday that Courchevel has just sold a, a chalet for the most amount of money it's ever sold a chalet for. And we're talking hundreds of millions. Um, so yeah, what's that? Like the place where I live, when I first came here, it was a place that there was a community in a sense, like a lot more of us actually lived inside the ski resort, like where the lifts start from. Um, yeah. Big group. In fact, when we first came here, a big group of mates who lived here and stayed here for 15, like still here now, 15 years later, but we've all moved down the valley because there's not really that space to live up there. And yeah, well, let, let, let's, yeah. let's start. Like I, I, like I really, you know, like I wanted to get you on here to talk about, you know, we, we've known each other a few years now, like three friends of friends. Like we've had, we actually had a day riding together, didn't we? About four years ago. In fact, that was my last day riding before COVID in fact. Um, And I've obviously watched what you do over those four years and and really seen how your like position has evolved. You, You, to me, you're a bit of a canary in the coal mine, really. Like I said to you the other day, like, I actually think you're about like 10 to 15 years ahead of like most of the conversations that go on around climate change in, in skiing and ski resorts with like firstly your views and firstly what you're doing. So we'll get there. But what I'm interested in is initially, because yours is like the class, I'm interested in the in the arc of it. You like Because yours is like the classic season air story, I'm guessing, right? You know, you, you were into it. You were like, right, I'm going to move to the Alps. Same as mine, same as loads of our mutual friends, same as loads of people listening to this podcast. But where your story's changed, obviously, is you've looked at the changes to community, to environment, to climate in your in your local area, and you've actually gone right. Actually, this is really fucking serious, and I need to. I can't go on pretending it's not serious. So I want to. I want before we get into like what you do with reaction, mm. I want to get an understanding of like your like how, how that happened. So when did yeah. you first? How did you get into, so what, you were just into skiing and you thought, no. I'll go and do a season? Was that what it was? No, not all that. Uh, my brother came out to work for a chalet company called Le Ski, uh, come to do a season with some mates. And like the very last week of season, so he was in Latania. Very last week of season, I was like, oh, I'll come and visit you for holiday and see what this is like. And I turned up with a snowboard, um, went snowboarding for that week and was just like amazed that this was not just a lifestyle, but there was a job and stuff. <laughs> I was like, how, how do I make this a reality? And, uh, right. it was just, yeah, it was a bit eye opening really. Uh, I come, I come from the peak district. So I've always, uh, lived, well, I've lived and grown up in an outdoor activity center. So I've tended to do a lot of climbing, climbing instructor qualifications and stuff like that. So I've always kind of been in the outdoors and then I just came to this space and I was like, wow, like you can live here and you can have a job here. This is, this is cool. And, came back the following year with my brother and we run a chalet for the ski so we both hosted um cooked some terrible meals for you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Drank, all, drank all the wine drank at the end of the week wine, yeah. yeah yeah so this was in Courcheval primarily in the French Alps yeah this is in Courcheval and I continued doing seasons like that since for five years um so I stayed working for the ski for five full seasons and then I actually went over to Canada so very first night here I met what became my future what became my wife so I met Sarah um, she was working at the ski 
We need the ah, we need the R tune music, yeah. you know the old <laughs> the old Simon Bates. <laughs> uh, All so the Americans listen to this like, what the fuck does that yeah, mean? You're on about. Uh, so we both headed over to Canada to to Bamp for the year, and when I went there, uh, a guy had gone before me. Like, there's a guy out there that I'd worked with the year previously, and he was working as a boot fitter. And I, I couldn't find a job anywhere in, in Bamford. It was really hard to find a job. And then he just went, oh, do you want to come and start doing some boot fitting? Um, so I started boot fitting over there. At the same time, I was calling. Like, I had a good mate that lives here that was making his own skis. So he actually manufactured his own skis, built the press and everything. And we sort of just were chucking ideas back and forth. And I was saying, look, there's, there's not like a, there's not a ski boot fitting shop in Courchevel. There's, there's nothing or, or in the Free Valleys. Like I reckon... I reckon we could set one up and it would work. Um, so we tried to set one up. We we didn't have like a clue how we'd find a space. And he sort of went, oh, there's this, there's this ski school called New Generation that have a shop space. It's 40 square meters. They're happy to rent out half. It's 20 square meters. And I was like, yeah, like, like maybe, but can we make a, like a boot fitting shop working 20 square meters, you know? You need a lot. Of, you need to stock a lot of boots. Um, you need a lot of tools, a lot of equipment. Um, and we did. We just we just went for it, and we we managed to make it work, and just set up a business blindly. Uh, learned a lot on the way. Realised that we were doing a lot of things kind of semi illegally after two years, in a sense. Like we were doing everything right, like from a tax perspective and all that. But we weren't employed in the right way and things like that. So it was very. It was a, a very interesting introduction to trying to do something on yourself to kind of like you know try and build something yourself in a foreign country when you don't speak the language when you know, even just finding the reps um, to, to sell the boots and sell the stuff to us was really 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 tricky. Uh, you know they, you know two English guys going oh we're thinking of setting up a boot shop like do you fancy selling us some boots? It was, yeah, it was, it was a bit of an interesting experience. But actually, like when, when I was in that in that company like i was the i did the marketing i sold the boots i did the boot fitting i did all the ordering did all the emails and that just gives you a really good grounding i think for going on to do future things so i did that i've done that for 10 years i just sold that sold that recently and we ended up opening another shop so we had a a second shop in maribel um and it went went really really well it's it's i've sold it to my business partner so it's still it's still an operation still going yeah still going yeah so at this point, you're kind of, you know, living the little Alpine dream in a, in a lot of ways. You know, like you, you've found a way of making it work. You know, on your own terms, you've you've like got an income. You can ski when you want. You know, you 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 know you part like you've done what you you set out to do. Like you said, oh, well, I got out there and I was like, oh, how can I make this part of my life? So you actually did that. You know, um, and then you've kind of like felt like you couldn't continue doing that um and decided to change it so when did you and i'm presuming this is because of your you know looking at like i said the impact seeing seeing the changes going on in the community seeing the changes going on in the in the environment and started to think like it's a bit of a slow burn right you were thinking ah okay this is maybe not that sustainable in industry and and after a while that became 
a calling that you couldn't really avoid by the sounds of it. So, how, so when did that start to change for you? When did you start to think about these these issues a bit more seriously? I think I think because I come from like a climbing background, and we'd go climbing around Europe for the summer. And when you go climbing, me brothers and your mates, you just do it on you just spend nothing like it's, it's done so cheaply and then you go to a place like Courchevel and it you know there's the excess of everything and you know there's lobsters there's caviar there's stuff in the middle of mountains that shouldn't be in the middle of mountains and it's just it's just a bit crazy and there's helicopters dropping people off and private airports and stuff and that I think when I first started boot fitting I was fitting boots for you know, like like people that would have been guests for the ski so People that, you know, like middle-class people that would come away for a, for a holiday. What it's kind of ended up now is we we were sort of finished and you, you fit in boots for millionaires and billionaires. Like like we had the clients that, yeah, are, are that, that wealthy. And throughout that period as well, I was obviously getting to see the huge amount of waste, especially from like a single-use plastic perspective, because when you order all your stock at the start of the season, it all comes up wrapped in plastic. You take it out of that plastic immediately, bin it all, um, put it all on display. And so that just started to, I guess, just started to gnaw away at me. It was it was a slow burn. It wasn't like, oh, God, I need to get out of this. It, it was a slow burn. Um, but I think it sort of stemmed from where I'd grown, where I'd grown up and how, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe... I heard someone say the other day, you spend all your life trying to gain stuff till you're 50 and then you spend the rest of your years just trying to get rid of it all. And like, yeah, I wonder if I got to that age a little bit early in the sense where I just sort of felt like, I don't know, I kind of got there and thought, I've got all this stuff. Like you said, I've got everything I want. And it is a bit mad that I've got out of that job because I basically worked 60 days a year like, and that. That funded my lifestyle and I could have just sat there I could have sat there for the next five years and just and just done that and like I did get to ski every other day um I did get the summers off from my children so it's it's kind of like I could have taken that easy decision but it just kept gnawing away at me and it just kept going like, I can't can't keep like this and then obviously you're in the mountains here so like our shop was based in 1650 that's the altitude um and definitely over the years, like it, it just rains more at that altitude. And you see, like, like when you work in that shop every day, or when you're up in that resort over ten years, you see the impact like more than if you were in a town and there's been a couple of degrees of temperature raise. Like you, you're not going to feel it as much. And so that's that's played into it. I mean, we don't have a lot of glaciers around this area, but up into Chamonix, and you can see like it's insane at how much the glaciers are melting. Um, other things that are quite kind of quite hit you here is I, I am lucky we've got a bit of land attached to the house and we've got like fruiting trees and we grow our own food. We've got chickens and stuff. And um, like a couple of summers recently, it's been so hot that it's really hard to grow stuff and there's a lack of bees. Like we've not had a single piece of fruit this year um, because there's just been way too many caterpillars, like whether that's a, a result of like an imbalance in the, in the biodiversity from climate change, I don't know, but like it's a year we've had like no fruit. The the forests, like if you look at them really closely, like the beetle is killing killing a lot of the trees in those forests in the higher alpine, and this is this has been recorded across the Alps. Um, 
and basically the, the the beetle that can kill the pine tree like it isn't getting killed off properly in winter because it's, it's not it's not cold enough so it's not keeping these pests at bay so i guess it's yeah. like all these things and now we've like simple things like by our house there's a stream that flows by our house and like it's getting really really it's really low at times now like far lower than it was when i moved into this place eight years ago yeah uh, so i think so it's like, just those it, nagging bits yeah so so there are these anecdotal kind of experiences that you've had that that obviously lead you to 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 sort of look at the rhetoric of climate change and be like yeah i can see this i can actually see this happening i can see this impacting me locally you've also spoken about how it's impacted your community as well because obviously there's in tandem with this which i think is is something that seems to have affected you is is the cultural change in the mountains as well like in in, in you know ski resorts are funny places aren't they i mean we used to when i used to run white lines with chris our mutual friend we used to call them islands for rich people you know like they're they're weird they're weird places they exist for very wealthy people they're not that they, they don't represent the country that they're in so one of the reasons why i always liked going to really fucking weird places because mm. ski resorts in those areas tended to be a bit more blue collar and a bit more realistic about a culture but in but in like the french alps for example or in the rockies you know for example that they really are like just for the one percent aren't they and i feel and again this is anecdotal that in the years i've been doing this which is 30 years i feel that's got much more acute i feel like um they're not for us those places anymore they never were really you know but you were able to sort of blag it you were able to find an angle you know like you found an angle like i found an angle like our friends have found an angle but it feels to me that that's going as well you know and 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 the fact that you've all had to move down the valley basically because you've been priced out and i'm assuming that's the same for a lot of locals is is another is another anecdotal kind of confirmation that ultimately whether it's for the climate whether it's whether it's culturally there are changes happening that are impacting people and people are having to change their lifestyles as a result of it is that is that also something that's going on yeah definitely i've got like I don't know, it's been like this just for the last month or so. I don't know. I think it's just more stories coming out, but just this urge for us to be able to get our action sports back. Like they just don't feel like they belong to us anymore. Like if 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 my son goes into the ski club here, the ski club is sponsored by Ineos, which is the you know, Jim Radcliffe, biggest petrochemical manufacturer. Um from the age of five, he'll be skiing like around with a jacket that says Ineos on. And I just find all of that really difficult. And I, I was up there the other day and um, like the lifts now, they've got they've got clothing brands all over them from like the posh clothing shops in 1850. That's a new addition this year. And I'm like looking out of the view because I've just been for a bit of ski tour, looking out of the view, wanting to see a beautiful view and I can see like a Prada sticker. <laughs> and I'm a bit like, oh, oh, sports have just, they're not ours anymore. I don't feel, I don't feel like, Someone asked me this recently and said, oh, do you feel, what's your role? What do you feel part of the industry and stuff? And I was like, I just don't even really feel part of the, the industry or the sport or the culture. I do. I've got my own friends down here and we've got our own sort of thing going on. But as an industry as a whole, as a space as a whole, I don't feel particularly attached to it. Um, and that is, the, and like 100% that has accelerated, like the building that's going on in these resorts in the last couple of years is, is crazy. And they're knocking down stuff that, you know, it was built in the eighties and nineties and it it's stuff that would have housed 
or, or would have had 50 beds in for like a, a sort of a holiday provider and someone's buying it and they're converting it into their private chalet and they might come one one week a year or you know it, it might be an investment you know, might not even intend to use the space um so it's strange they are really strange places i think in a recent block i called it orton towers but uh someone else said maybe like disneyland or something but it is isn't it because it's you can come here and ski for a week and you you don't have any contact with nature. I, I was going to ask you that as well, because that's another thing, isn't it? Because there's a debate going on. Well, not a debate, but I've seen it discussed. I've certainly discussed it on the podcast. But, you know, this idea at the minute that the natural world exists entirely to benefit you as a as a as a person like, you know, the, the, the ultimate metaphor for that at the minute is like this whole cold water swimming thing, you know, where it's like people are looking at that purely in terms of what it can do for your mental health rather than, you know, there's like a separation inherent in that. Like, you know, this place exists to benefit me individually. Like, I know that isn't the intention of that. And there's probably a lot of people getting annoyed of me saying Mm. that, but that is kind of a thing right now. And ski resorts again are, they're the kind of, they're kind of the ultimate example of that really, you know, like they, it's all about taming nature. It's all about, keeping the cold out like you know creating these like very very artificial environments so you can have a, a very one-sided experience of nature isn't it is that something that you kind of under like that you would that you would recognize that picture i definitely recognize that and what i recognize myself when i go skiing now and like i really like going for a run now because i've just got shorts t-shirt on and i'll go for a run from a house and i can be in what is is definitely nature i could be running on paths that people don't run on or walk on hardly ever and apart from the fact that i might get i have to be wary that i might get shot by some french person who's out hunting uh it's generally it's, it's a nice experience but if you you know when i go up to the ski resort now and i'm thinking i put like on a helmet helmet on i put goggles on i put plastic all over me i strap a massive pair of skis on and then i go down this piece that's been like not only like flattened out by a piece bash but they've spent all summer making it as flat as they can you know like just just so that when they get less snow um they can still ski on it so they you know, they're manicuring these slopes almost throughout the summer to take away the big rocks and take away some bumps and stuff so it is really it is it isn't nature it is a manufactured space and especially like all that ski gear on as well i don't feel particularly connected to, to like to that space i'm kind of in my own bit of the world i might have headphones in listen to some music i suppose yeah i mean so the other thing to to sort of and i've seen you talk about this that i'm really interested in getting your take on is um you know these were farming communities weren't they mm-hmm. not that long ago you know like and obviously there are still farmers there and there is still like um a, there's still a rural economy in the alps but what was once a self-sufficient farming community at some point in the last 150 years even less in france really i think maribel's like the 20s isn't it the 1920s so so like you know that basically the locals it was tourism you know like that that's an industry that you're going to get involved in and that's the industry that's going to bring money into the local economy and and so are you seeing any changes there like in terms of like how how the locals are reacting to this changing backdrop that you that you discern I think it's hard, isn't it? Because we're we're beholden to the resort really now. Like 
we, we only get to carve out that niche and survive here um, if we sort of play the game. Like, you know, most of the people in my village, so there is actually just across the road, uh, Jean-Paul is still a subsistent farmer in his 80s. He's got his sheep, got his chickens, still still living that way. And that's really, I really enjoy watching, watching the way he lives and stuff. It's cool. But everyone else in the village is pretty much a ski instructor. Yeah. So, yeah, one of them said to me the other day, "There's the Russians aren't coming, but someone else is coming, and the color, the money's still the same." You know, like it, it's you were beholden to it. Like, what what can we do? Like, we can't turn away from that because what do we do instead? And and the reason that's so obvious here is because like ninety, I don't know what the actual figures are, but most ninety percent of the income is going to come from this the ski season you know there's not much of a summer season there's not much industry there's not much farming um so what what else could you go and do i mean now we can like like my wife for example she works for a company on the uk she works online so there are some things that people are maybe starting to be able to do and 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 sort of nudge away from this space a little bit um but yeah i think for the locals like they, they benefit from that resort don't they how can they what can they do instead well i mean that's another reason why this is the front line isn't it though because ultimately excuse me that's the stella that's the little cheeky stella ad um is change you know and, and and this brings us nicely to reaction i think um change is coming isn't it you know whether you like it or not and you know that's obviously that's the that's the battleground of the climate debate right now you know like do you do you do what you're doing, mm. you know, which is idealistic, pragmatic, forward thinking? I mean, those are words that I would use. Um, I know you'll cringe at that, but those are words that I would use. You know, you're you're basically like, okay, change is coming. I can see it. I can see the impact it's having on me and my community. Um, I want to firstly acknowledge that and tell that story. And also I want to change what I'm doing to prepare for that. And I also want to help. I'm putting words in your mouth, obviously, but this is what I'm guessing reaction is really about. I'm, I also want to kind of start showing people that this is unsustainable and that we, there needs to be a new a new way of doing things. So this is why I find the whole thing so interesting because that if you if you believe the predictions about the climate crisis, which I certainly do, and you obviously do, change is coming very very quickly, and like the the, the changes that you're making are going to be they're going to be on all of us pretty soon. They're certainly going to be on our kids, you know, like, and that's obviously the, 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 where the, where the actual wider narrative is right now. You know, like we're, we're looking for leadership. We're looking for governments to take the lead, but it's obviously really not happening for, for very obvious political reasons. So at the minute, the change is happening at the level that, that you're operating at, um, which is, which is why I think this is such an interesting thing. So, Tell us about what, why you shifted it, and then what reaction is, and what you try to achieve. I think just to add there quickly, like because I'm in the outdoor space so much, and I'm, you know, I've been growing some food and I'm doing stuff. I actually, I, I obviously do believe the climate science, but I actually think I have a sense that we've maybe underestimated it a little bit, just because I can see the acceleration of change here, like. like it's really noticeable and that makes me just think actually like have we maybe like even underestimated this bit so i feel 
I feel that's been like that's, that's driven me a bit more um, to make these changes. And so essentially, I was working in that shop space and just kind of yeah, just thought right, we can't operate like this. <laughs> this just isn't you know this isn't getting, this doesn't make any logical sense. And we did a few things in our shop like we we worked with the manufacturers to remove a lot of that single use plastic. We switched our energy supply. Um, we, we, you know, we, we were in that boot shop, we focused a lot on repair and making sure stuff lasted. So if someone came into that shop with a ski boot that they bought somewhere else and it was broken, we would definitely fix it and say, right, on, on you go, we wouldn't try and sell another one. And so we did things that were good, sustainable choices to make in that business, but it got to sort of point where what, what else could I do? I could speak to the manufacturers and they weren't going to make much more change beyond that. Um, they were quite open in the fact that they weren't going to do much more and it kind of just got to the point it was like well where could go from here and then we we held a we held a repair day outside the shop so this is where it all came from and which is i think is kind of a cool part about this story is that it was just one repair day that kicked off this whole thing and it was the first uh it was the first brexit day so it was the one of one of many it was the first one that didn't happen and uh, it was a friday and it, we actually had, had there was like really low bookings in resort because it was at the time everyone thought flights were going to get grounded and all this so we knew it was going to be a quite weak and you know obviously for our community out here that was another thing that had quite affected us um we didn't know at the time how we were whether we were going to we, you know, we had feelings we'd be able to stay here and we'd be okay to do that but you know it was uncertain so uh, we decided to hold this repair day that we called fix it fuck brexit um it wasn't an particularly anti-Brexit day it was like let's just do something positive on that day in our community let's do something cool and we set a couple of people like a couple of friends said they'd sit outside the shop and do some repairs and then a couple of weeks uh, running up to the event I, I sort of said to a load of mates look we've got like loads of clothes in our cupboards that are just not using loads of ski gear that's not used why don't we just sell it all on the day and we'll just plant as many trees as we possibly can. We'll just take that money and we'll, you know, we'll do something even more positive. We'll just plant all these trees. And it just took off and we ended up, uh, we did a couple more of those events, one over in Morzim with some good friends at Montanvert. And we ended up raising 9,000 euros from those, those three events and just putting that into tree planting. And I don't know, I did that and it sort of just set this idea off my head. Firstly, I started to see like how much clothing and ski gear we all had that we didn't use. Like we were probably, pretty, <laughs> proper shocked when my mates were turning up all this stuff. And I'm like, you've got four pairs of, like five pairs of salopettes spare. And you've got two, you've got two at home still. Um, so that just sort of, yeah, I just reacted a bit to that, I guess. And then there was a, re- in the shop at the time, there's a girl working for us called Courtney, who was a graphic designer, um, which is awesome. And, we just got talking afterwards and we said, right, well, why don't we try and set up like a, a French association and, and sort of see what we can do with this. The French association is a bit like a CIC in the UK. It's a, it's not a not-for-profit. It, it, it works under not-for-profit um, standards, but it's kind of, it's a community-based um, yeah, offering. And then, yeah, so we just sat down, banged our heads together and we came up with this idea of calling something one tree at a time. So we set up a, an association out here called One Tree at a Time. And that just continued to morph until we ended up with a community space here. So we've got a community space in Bozell, which you've, um, you know, Bozell well. Just around the corner from your favourite bar. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. The second best bar in the world. <laughs> uh, just next to that. And so in that space, we've got, which is another, like, when you talk about I'm 10, 15 years ahead of the game or what we actually is doing is 10, 15 years ahead of the game. I don't know. I don't know because we've gone from where we were to where we are now in in like five years. So maybe maybe when more people really start to feel the urgency of the situation, I, I definitely feel maybe they will be, uh, well, maybe they will move faster and maybe the change will accelerate quicker. I don't know. Um, but in that space down there, we have a great big work, like a desk at the front where we teach um, sewing workshops, where we do bike servicing workshops. We this year we've been a group of us have been converting uh, waste salad pets into sleeping bags that are attached to jackets that we've been giving to homeless people in Leon so that they've got something to, to wear on the streets. So we, we've been using like all these materials and, and, and learning to sew along the way and stuff. And essentially, this stuff comes into that community space and we repair it. We sometimes redistribute it to people um, who might need it or we resell it. And that waste that has come into that space has completely self-funded that place. Like we've had no no outside funding from that until very recently. Someone's offered to to help fund it and drive drive on some of our ideas a bit further. But in the first four years, that's been totally self-funded from the waste materials that are dropped off there. And one yeah. of our one of our like really kind of like our biggest income is actually from old uniforms. So like old ski school uniforms, old chalet uniforms. Um, and what we do is we patch over all the logos and then and then we resell it. And like a, a ski like a, a ski jacket and pants might not be suitable for a ski instructor if they've just done a season in them because going to get really wet next year but it doesn't mean it's not suitable for me to ski around in because if it's yeah if it's raining i'm not going to go skiing i'm going to do something else so like that doesn't mean that stuff's reached the end of its life so we patch over the logos like normally that stuff goes into landfill well actually normally it goes into a bin um at the dechetterie which is like the local tip that then goes to sorting center and then it's exported um large amounts of it ending up in places like ghana um so we've we'd patch over those logos, which is kind of like in itself has been quite cool locally because we've kind of made this like local brand uh, because you you know we stamp them with our logo and you have you see these all over the place and there's, everyone's wearing them. It's quite funny. Um, yeah, and they're they're wearing it because I think obviously it's more affordable, so it's making it's good kit. It's making it a little bit more accessible, um, but I think like it's come a bit of a badge of honour to wear around here as well, which is. It's quite a nice thing to see. Yeah, um, I mean, go on. I was going to say, well, yeah, no, go, go for it, go for it. Well, I was just going to say that I think the reason that I, it, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of activism, inverting the commas, which is about calling for like big, huge systemic change, and and a lot of the way that the conversation is held generally, I find not that helpful personally, mm. um, and. But, you know, you're like, I kind of feel like this sort of grassroots thing that you're doing, which is based around like actual circularity in the local economy, like actually trying to break these loops of consumerism that consume us all, if you'll pardon the pun, you know, like we're all, we're all beholden to that. I mean, it's the system we all live in, you know, like to, to make shit and buy shit. Mm -hmm. And obviously you're, 
trying to what you're doing is on a on a it's it's modest if i can use that word in in the wider conversation but i don't think that's a negative thing i think that's i think it's an impactful thing i think it's i think it's what it's that type of thing that's actually going to make a difference rather than a lot of kind of chit chat at conferences about you know quite obscure stuff that ultimately doesn't really relate to most people's lives you know and and i think that's what i mean when i say you're ahead of the game really because i know that i know that a lot of this goes on don't get me wrong i know that you've got a network of people that you work with i know that one of the things that which would be great to hear about because one of the things that you've subsequently done in the Alps is tried to make a network, right? It's tried to connect all these grassroots initiatives and sort of, because, you know, you're like, well, we're all on the same team, so let's work together kind of thing. But, you know, for me, that's, that's the real work, you know, that we kind of need to like show people at a local level, like the impact that they can have and also the impact it can have on the community. Um, so that, I guess that's where I'm, I'm coming from with that, with that line really. Um, and, you know, the next thing I want to ask you about on this on this topic is, you know, you you very consciously refer to yourself as a citizen rather than a consumer, which is obviously something that you, um, you know, that's 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 marketing. You know, it's something that you're doing to like spread your message. But it is it is a it's an impact again. It's impactful. It's a simple thing, but it's impactful. So tell me about that. Tell me what where that's coming from. Yeah. So we, we well, I'll agree with a lot of you said actually, and I think there's definitely something to investigate more because i feel actually like a lot of the things i i'm doing i am kind of like i'm winging it a little bit because i don't have a qualification in these things like when i said at the, at the boot shop i did marketing and everything i kind of just had to get on with it like i do find these conversations really interesting from a personal perspective because i'm, st- I'm still winging it a bit so it's really good to chat about whether the climate message is hitting i don't think it is at all um no i i how we can make it hit like yeah and 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 that's something obviously as you know i want to talk to you about later on in this conversation for sure um but Um, the other thing is everyone's fucking winging it mate i mean (laughs) (laughs) surely everyone surely everyone knows that (laughs) uh yeah 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 so i feel like i'm big winging it but it's good it's fun it's it's enjoyable so what happened kind of next is we created that space and we have employees now so when i said it's so you know we have employees who are paid well above French minimum wage. So it's cool to see that we can build something in our community itself. And it is, you know, it's exciting to build it. And it, the joy I get from it is not like, I don't, yeah, keeping some of our land feels cool. Like, but I, I know in my heart, hearts, obviously it's not going to make a difference when we're making God knows how many millions of pieces of clothing daily. Um, I think the start is, what did I see earlier? we're exporting out of the uk the equivalent of 1.4 billion t-shirts a year in the second hand market so it's that the volume is just like something i know from my space we can't have any meaningful impact on that and that 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 volume really comes home to us as well because we we deal with that waste and we and i can believe these stats and these figures because i have I, you know, have to separate it all out, organize it all, decide what we're going to do with each piece that's donated. So we, we get to deal with this stuff and um, those volumes and those figures are probably very accurate. So the bit I get from it that's important to me is the conversations I have face to face with people, the workshops I attend, the community I've grown out of this. Like I've got far more French friends. It's, it's this place on the high street that we can go to and congregate around. And that I think that is important because 
too many sort of climate change solutions that don't have a community aspect to it, don't get you in front of someone else. They might be like, you know, the, the, the solution might be like, I should shop for something that's slightly better, um, which is this consumer solution we're going to consume our way out of this right we're just going to buy something slightly better or we're going to get an electric car or or or, or we're going to business our way out of this you know which is a huge thing you know we're gonna oh we can keep making stuff but we'll just business our way out of it you know like same thing isn't it yeah and what has happened to me in that same period of transition is i feel like i've gone from being a consumer to what we've determined as a citizen now this isn't like this isn't my own thinking that it like when I, when I, so I'll continue a little bit actually with the, the one tree at a time story. So I was speaking on another podcast and someone said to me, Oh, this is amazing. Like, could you scale like one tree at a time? And uh, there's it's two reasons I don't want to scale one tree at a time. I do not want my life to be running five, six, seven, eight, nine community <laughs> spaces. Like, I'm really happy as I am. <laughs> um, secondly, I don't believe that's, I don't believe that's the right way to go. I think like a community space should be built in each community by by that someone in that community and it should represent what the people there need. Like replicating replicating one tree at a time is not much difference representing replicating what we're doing with all the brands at the minute and it's just gonna get us yeah. further in, into further problems. It's not it's not really the right as way in, to go. As in it's as in it's more homogenization essentially of, of culture and, and... Yeah, you know, globalization effectively is a homogenization of culture on one level, isn't it? You know, anytime you're going in the world, looks the fucking same. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which I think it's worth also remembering is very recent. You know, yeah. like the, the the one of the I know I'm jumping on a while, like quite a tangent here, but yeah. just just on that point, it's really recent. This it's literally 300 years old. It's not that it's not inevitable. You know, like quite quite often when you when you have when you hear people talk about growth, capitalism, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's as if that the human race has always been on this path. Mm. And that's just not true. Like mm. capitalism is literally 300 years old, like in its yeah. current form. And like the, the, the world being completely, you know, you go into a town in China and it looks the same as a town in like, I don't know, Greece mm. is, is, is very, very, very new, isn't it? you know it's post yeah. war basically so yeah. i completely like, get get away and this, this is another reason final thing to say why I, I get what you're doing do you know what i mean i get yeah. that i get you, you it's local that's the point because like what like what you're saying there like we're all it's always going to change like we're always going to move into something else we're going to we're going to move past capitalism into something else that will happen like whether whether that's through climate change causing the system to collapse or whether that's for us deciding that what we built isn't the thing isn't serving us as human beings or nature and it isn't what we want to do we will move to something else like that's gonna gonna happen and like i don't like is that a point i I can't are we at a point in history where that's going to start to happen and like i kind of feel quite strongly that we maybe are just because of what i'm seeing happen around me what i'm seeing not not i'm not talking about like oh like capitalism's gonna be overthrown into capitalism, but the, the way we structure society, I feel, is gonna change, or what we place value on, like, is is gonna change. Because at the minute, the things that we that we value, like, and this isn't, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm speaking a bit across, you know, like 
what like what value do we get from shopping online for example like and we do a lot of online shopping like we don't have any face-to-face interaction with people we know we're doing big damage to the planet through distribution of those products through the actual products themselves we know it's addictive we know that actually a lot of the products we buy online are not used for a very long time they are disposed of quite quickly so like is that important to us as society is that something we want like we want to continue like where where is the value in all of that like there's people at the start of that supply line that are manufacturing them products that they're getting mistreated to do that they haven't got a proper living wage um at the other end of that supply line there's people that we're shipping these used products to such as Ghana that then have to deal with stuff that they can't deal with you know 15 million garments garments a week arrive in Ghana like over 50 percent of them are completely unusable um they plug up they you know they fill up their landfill they fill up their rivers they pollute their air they pollute their water so like do we, when do we get to a point where we just go look this part this this bit or this bit of the system is just not delivering much human value and do we start to look at things and think like you know i want clean water <laughs> i want clean air i want human interaction like can, and can we start to transition towards something else and the one tree at a time space is really great because it is so localized like the solutions that go on in that place are the solutions that our community needs like they're what we need here they're specific to this space like we have a lot of excess uniform because we live on the edge of a ski resort that has ski instructors like that's not going to be the same everywhere else in the world um you know ski children grow out of ski clothing quickly before it it wears out because they grow quickly like and ski clothing isn't worn every day and it's made out of plastic and durable plastic is meant to be in the outdoors so that stuff can just be swapped like we can just set up a swap rail and people could come and swap and take that like we can build very specific things for that community and so it's so kind of what happened with one is i was on a podcast and said someone talked about scale and i was like well i don't know about this and then they did mention have you thought about seeing if you can create a network and make this spread and i was like oh that's, that sounds more like my thing that sounds uh that sounds more interesting at the same time i'd read a book by a guy called john alexander called citizens um and this is this idea of moving from consumers to citizens um he talks about three kind of stories in that book he talks about the subject story which would have been the old like the story of when we were ruled by kings and queens and we, we had a role in society and it would have been the role for the rest of our life really you wouldn't have much chance to move um that got replaced by the consumer story the consumer story will get replaced by something else like the citizen story is effectively the oldest story it's not something new it's the way we would have lived prior probably to the subject story it would have been in communities where we're helping and working with each other for the better good of the community um so it's this idea of like i don't know in that same period i've gone from being a consumer to being a citizen that's that's that transformation happened for me i never ever thinking about buying something is really it's really strange like obviously food yeah petrol yeah my car stuff like that but if you said to me like i can't you know i just make do with whatever clothing i've got whatever skis will do like still gonna be a right good day on the mountains my skis are fine like i yeah. just have gone into this position where i don't actually get caught up in all of that i'm in a I'm in a slightly privileged place in the fact that I don't see much advertising. Like I see very little marketing. So I'm actually 
it's been quite easy probably to take myself out of that story. Yeah. To, to, to take that out of my brain time because I've not got a TV. Um, you know, I do see, like I said earlier, I do see some advertising up in resort, but it's probably for something I'm not that interested in, in buying. And like, I've gone to that space of being a system where my value is like being down at that workshop, working with my friends or having face-to-face conversations or learning the skill, you know, learning how to sew, like learning how to use a sewing machine. I've really enjoyed that last few years. Um, I, you know, I did an art degree, so I'm quite creative in my thinking. So actually like being in the shop and trying to figure out solutions to problems. And that's, that's what we're kind of talking about when we're saying like moving from a consumer to a citizen start to think about things like because basically we're doing a, a campaign that's sort of um anti-citizen friday campaign but actually we've decided that it's going to continue uh, on on from there and it's going to be a regular weekly thing and we've written written four blogs for that the first one is saying um don't shop share and it's talking about all the things we can do as communities to share the products that we own and and the time together that we own and the skills that we own uh, the second one is called don't shop repair and it talks about how we can again share skills and learn skills and repair and come together as a community and, and do stuff around there and then the third one is about um is about getting out in the fresh air so shopping online is super addictive it's actually quite interesting because it's the anticipation of the purchase that is addictive um it's the 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 dopamine is, is released whilst you're waiting for that purchase to arrive. And that's why online shopping is more addictive because the process of waiting releases more of that dopamine hit. And actually receiving the product isn't isn't when you get the the like the, the hit from it. So getting in the outdoors replicates that. It, 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 and even better, it releases other other chemicals in our brains and stuff and it gives us makes us happier. And so by getting in the outdoors we can break some of these sort of things that we're kind of stuck in when it comes to consumption i'm not talking you know like i've got to eat food i've got to, i've got to drive a car in, in my life like there's no way i can't there's no way unfortunately here that i can't drive a car um i'm not saying like i've got a ski pass for this winter i'm not saying that i'm gonna like completely stop consuming here and now but i'm definitely consider stuff and think is that the thing i want because does it matter is it like gonna improve my life and actually Another little part of this is that it's taking loads of stuff out of my life that I don't have to like think about as in like, I don't have to store stuff like in the same way. Like I'm not collecting all this stuff that I've got to look after. Like it, I'm not, I've not been doing that for five years. So there's less in my life. So it's... you find you finally cleared the loft. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. shed, the shed is actually empty. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I think, yeah, you know, cause there's a, another big theme of like the climate conversation, like activism again, all this stuff that we're talking about is like, you must stop flying. You must give this up. You must, you know, you must stop eating meat, like blah, blah, blah. And I get it. I get where those, where those things are coming from. But I, I sort of feel like what you're proposing, what you're doing in your life is actually something that most people or citizens, if you like, could, could get behind. Like, I, I, I don't think it's, most what you've said is i think for most people pretty much common sense really and 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 actually sounds quite appealing you know like you mm-hmm. so I, so this is why i think it's you know i use the word modest which is probably a bit of a diss earlier but i mean you know let's say quietly revolutionary because i think ultimately like this is going to bring us to this climate comms conversation but it it's it's a vision of 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 a of a 
future affected by climate change it's actually something that you can bring people with you like you say you, you've done that in your local community and, and not only have you done it like but your local community is dictating what it looks like by the needs as you say um it really reminds me of something like fiber shed as well which i'm sure you know about you know yeah. which is which is basically like again using local resources um and and using those resources whether that's a particular crop or a particular dye or whatever that is like to to to, to make things that will benefit locally and perhaps, you know, on a regional or, or a national or international scale, but it's all sustainable and, and genuinely localized. And so it kind of, it kind of reminds me of that kind of movement as well, which is ultimately what I think, you know, if you, if you look at what it's going to need to get the majority of people on board, like you said earlier, I don't think the message is landing. So what did you mean by that? There's a few reasons though if he's landing. I think like telling people not to have something's gonna be like the hardest message to land ever, isn't it? Like it's just just that's not an easy sell to say like you can't have this, you can't have that. It's gonna it seems in my head better to say like what do we want? Like what do we want our community to look like? What do we want to happen in our in our spaces? Like what like what do we want our cities to be like? It seems like it'd be better to try and sell sell that idea than than an idea of like you can't fly like it's just it's just very yeah i can't, I can't imagine if i went if you i reckon if you went to like the top advertising and marketing firms and said can you do a campaign to tell people not to fly they'd probably be like probably not a <laughs> <laughs> pretty tough sell that one <laughs> great um and then the other part of that is like flying for example i think the stat is that only five percent of the world fly so you're talking towards you're talking to you're not talking to the other 95 percent of the people that you, you you know like telling me that i need to switch to an electric car i can't i've got no way of charging it so if you if you're saying to me like oh yeah you know this this burden falls on you you've got to get an electric car and i can't physically get an electric car then that, that again that's not good communication that's not gonna make me want to get involved with something and did i feel like we have to come up with solutions that can be embedded in communities that are affordable. And that's the kind of cool thing about repair and reuse and trying to build these circular models and build these little hubs everywhere is that they can be integrated into people's lives and they can benefit them like directly and immediately. And so that it can think, right, I've got a stake in this. Like I've got a role to play in this, in this story. Cause at the minute, like most of the solutions are just not attainable to people. Like, all right. You can yeah, you choose to be vegetarian, but then the next thing would be right. You need to eat organic, like you know that that's not affordable um, or available. Like so, I think it, it it's tricky because like myself personally, and I think I mentioned this into a message the other day. Like in in some senses, like the people that are really good at communicating are currently being paid to communicate the other side of the story, and I get that. Like they're getting paid to communicate around selling more clothing or for taking more like taking more flights even or going on your ski holiday or you know you need to buy an electric car that's the solution and and actually the great communicators you know we're, we're, like i say i'm winging it a bit like we're trying to figure out like what message might land what might be interesting to people because yeah we're not i'm not a great communicator in that sense it's not my my background and my upbringing um so i find it quite hard 
I find this like I do find this bit of subject. Quite hard. Like, because what's your thoughts on Just Stop Oil? <laughs> what's my thoughts on Just yeah. Stop Oil? Um, my thoughts on Just Stop Oil are that that kind of activism um, is unpopular, but has a place. I mean, I guess the way that I look at it is there's this, there's almost like a spectrum of activism. You know, there's like like anything in life, there's there's uh there's a spread of people to communicate to and there's a spread of ways of doing that. And I think just up oil has a place in terms of putting it on the agenda and it will always land with a with people who are receptive to that message, but it's clearly not gonna land and it clearly doesn't land with um a large part of the population, as you can see by, for example, in the UK, like people getting out of cars and giving them a kick in, you know, and I'm not saying that's right at all. And I will also say that that kind of direct activism in the past has obviously led to like very significant change, like the suffragettes, like the civil rights movement, um, each of those huge societal changes, like women's suffrage, you know, which was obviously what the suffragette movement was about, came partially as a result of direct action, which shifted the, the, the general conversation to the point that, you know, legislation then started to happen. But there's always an acceptable face of that, you know, like you always need, uh, like th there's got to be a bridge between the action, I believe, and then what I have always on type two referred to as the middle ground, you know, like it's not enough on its own, you know, like there's, so I feel like I feel like it's got its place personally. I, I appreciate it's not popular and appreciate that um that a lot of people think it's ineffective, but I do understand the argument behind that kind of direct action. What do you think of it? No, I'm like exactly the same as you said. <laughs> um like for me, that action gives us that middle ground and it gives us that swell of people who go like, oh, we need to do something like it, make, it keeps raising awareness. So that gives us that space that we're working in. It gives us that place to grow. And so I do think it is crucial. So that, that the kind of reason I asked the question is because I kind of feel like we need quite a lot of different comms across a range of yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, we need I, someone I, to go, hang on, the planet's on fire. <laughs> we need to do something. I, well, well, I mean, you know, ultimately we need leadership, you know, like that, like that's, mm. that's what this comes down to, you know, like, it's, it's the world's biggest cliche but apartheid had a very visible leader like civil rights movement had a very visible leader who was able to communicate to both sides of that divide and i don't really see i don't really see that in the climate scenario right now personally mm. i see yeah like a lot of very effective direct action but i don't see the the communicators that can speak to the the people that are ultimately going to have to be persuaded to put pressure on governments to make significant change that we all need. Like the, the only way that the kind of systemic change that I think people in the movement or the climate conversation agree is necessary is going to come when people think it's going to win votes. That is, that is the fact of the matter. Like that is the way that change happens in Western democracies. And I currently don't see anyone making that case in an effective way. And I certainly find that, and we, you know, you know, this is a bit of a pet theme of mine because we talked about it. I certainly find most general climate comms very ineffective and very, very impenetrable and um, very jargon filled and very off putting personally. And I don't understand how those 
things are supposed to persuade anybody other than the people in their own echo chamber. Um, and, and, and to me, that seems really obvious. So I find it quite, you know, the fist thing is, is currently something that's going on at the minute. Um, and yeah, just, just the language of the movement that, that exists out there, I find very, very, um, off-putting personally. So to summarize, I don't see that communicator. I don't see that leadership at the minute, um, which I believe is probably what it's going to take, you know? I think if we don't fill that gap as well, if we don't start with that leadership, it becomes too easy for someone to say like, our oh, climate change solutions are too expensive. Like it's going to make your life, you're going to, you know, someone it's too easy for people to fill that space and go, yeah. These people want to make your patch more expensive. These people want to, you know, they want to take, they want to take away your two week holiday year, you know, um, and you can't argue with that by saying like, yeah, but we're doing a future in process, mate, you know, like, <laughs> Just like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> you know, no, but we're all imagination activists. So it's all fine. You know, like, okay, all right, nice one. Yeah. <laughs> but again, this is why I think what you do is impactful though. And this is again, like why I think that because you don't need to make that argument. You know, you, you're, you're acting in a way that is impacting your local community that people are obviously seeing benefit from. And obviously buying into so you know you you're really self-deprecating about all this stuff you're always quite quite um keen to sort of say oh you know i don't really know what i'm doing and oh, i'm not a good communicator and oh who am i to have an opinion on this and but i think you are effective in what you're doing where does that come from why do you you, you know you always uh, kind of start start with an apology <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think the thing that I really like doing is like thinking through the problems within our community and the face-to-face -face stuff and like i like so so there is quite a big picture for reaction now and it is based around trying to seed more of these spaces because they seem to be the things that we need to build we need to get these in these communities and give people um these spaces they can interact with and i kind of like that but i just don't necessarily i mean at, at school i would have been the last person to stand up and, and say anything in front of class do you know what i mean so it wasn't it's not something that comes naturally to me so maybe maybe i don't um don't love it <laughs> uh so yeah i don't know and th there is this thing isn't there where like the small changes so i i have a little bit of an issue when people go oh the small changes don't matter because we've got to start somewhere to be able to get somewhere like we can't just go from zero to like oh i'm gonna live my life completely different it's just not going to happen so whilst they don't you know whilst they're not going to change the story in a physical sense so they're not going to really affect how much carbon we've admitted into the atmosphere and they're not really going to address how much waste until they're done on a massive scale they are important because like for myself i did a repair day outside the shop and just just kept going and so i find it hard sometimes because people will dismiss that and go the small changes aren't important and i know the stuff that we're doing in my community is super small so I find that quite hard sometimes when people just dismiss it and go, you know, we need governments to make big sweeping changes and we need all this stuff. Yeah, happen. but how, like, how do they think how do they think that's gonna happen though? That's gonna happen hmm. because local people are energized enough that I say it again, politicians think that's where the votes are. That's that's and, and obviously there's a huge space for activism to push legislative change and that is clearly happening. That is clearly a thing. Don't get me wrong, like I'm not saying that isn't 
isn't happening, that isn't effective. But the type of sweeping systemic change that that's going to be required that that you're being told is is the point and your small things aren't necessary that they're, they're all part of the same conversation like they're all yeah. that they're all they're all feeding into the same outcome and 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 someone saying that to you i believe just doesn't really get it personally they're not necessarily to me but you, and yeah you know you hear it often like it's you hear it often in the climate discussion in the climate space and and again i like i completely agree with what you said there we need comms different types of comms but we need different types of solutions we've got to bring people along for the ride like give them that first step into this story there's no yeah at the minute that space isn't there to say like come along for the ride come and come and join in and and start to figure out what we can build like if we just say the government's going to deal with all that then we're not bringing any we're not bringing anyone in along we're just going oh yeah well government will get on with it when they're probably not going to um so I, and I, yeah, so I think it's just like it's just a bit of that. Like it's, I, I guess it's, and and in and what in the work I do, like, so what we've done with reactions, we've created a network now that has thirty six organisations. Um, they're based on three continents. So we've got them in the US, New Zealand, um, across Europe, and all of those organisations introduce circular are introducing circular models to outdoor sports. So. We've got organizations on there like TentShare. That's a peer-to-peer tent lending platform. So, you, you know, I could be in your neck of the woods and borrow a tent off you. Or, you know, you could be camping with your family one week and going on a hike the next big trek and you could get the tent that you need. But all of that's like peer-to-peer. It's face-to-face. It's, it's really quite a cool a cool thing. Um, there's repair workshops. So there's a few in the UK, like the Sheffield Clothing Repair and Snowdonia Gear Repair that are independent repairers that, again, delivering repair in a community it's accessible um we've got redistribution uh, hubs on there so there's a, a wonderful lady called fran at kit squad um what you do is you contact friend fran and prove that you're on low income and you provide a, a list of items that you would you'd want to get into the outdoors um and fran will source them for you fran fran is low income herself and her story is come from experience and all this and she's absolutely amazing and she's doing a fantastic job at redistributing this stuff and getting people in, into the outdoors and the network's built of organizations like none of them there's organizations that are repurposing stuff so they might be making new products out of old climbing ropes and stuff like that no one's manufacturing anything new they're not a brand or an organization that they're, they're trying to keep this stuff in use um and we 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 meet monthly we've got a discord channel and there's like product there's like materials changing hands there's obviously information and knowledge changing hands like we're sharing stuff saying oh this is working in my community you could give that a go like it might work in yours um and it's it's really cool and it's really vibrant so we've managed to build that and then we want to um the next phase of that is to try and see if we can start seeding new spaces that can come into that place. So try and make um, a load of resources up and say to people like, do you want to start something in your community? And that could just be a repair day to begin with. Like you could just do a repair day. You could do like a clothing swap day or you could, yeah, you could do anything small, but something to start and in your community so that you're, you know, you've got something to get involved with that's local. Um, and so that bit of the whole thing, really excites me and that's my what i see my impact the actual physical keeping the stuff out of the landfill is kind of like 
the anchor. If you yeah. get all the, it's, it's the vessel for doing the rest of it, which is the bit that I find the pleasure in and, and really want to do um, yeah. and excites me and makes me feel like this can grow into something that can deliver meaningful change. Like yeah. I, yeah, if one tree keeps stuff out of landfill, brilliant, amazing. It's great for my community. It's lovely, but it's never going to have any meaningful impact. So yeah, it's sense, the symbolism yeah. of it. It's the, it's the, it's what it's the, it's the, connections the path the network it's all these things that we're talking about it's the it's the change it's just doing it differently that's the power of it that's the difference you know and i do think there is significance in that completely that's that's above any tangible you know because again like as you mentioned earlier like consumerism is based upon feeling like there needs to be some some thing at the end of it you know like and if you if that's not on offer like then there's then it's you failed in some way but you know that's not how that's not the sole way that humans transact with each other is it it's not the and, sole thing that we value and like when i'm in when i was working in that ski shop and i've got you know, i've got millionaires sat opposite me fitting boots and they're like oh they you know they always go what are you doing in the summer what's your real job like <laughs> what's your real job and like, this is it um and you go they go where's your summer and i go I, I don't work and you can just see them sat there going like I've paid all this money to come away after him. The lifts are chocker. Everyone's stressed. It's cost me loads of cash. And like, I've got all that money to consume and do stuff with, but is it, is it any better than like, what is the meaning to that? Like, do they get to do the stuff that I'm getting to do? And I don't know, like it is the whole, like reaching that level of wealth and ability to consume, like, is it really that great? I don't, I don't want to go there. No. No. So do you think you'll ever get over your uh, reluctant spokesperson uh, thing? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I had to pull, it's like pulling teeth getting to come in air. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, oh, look, like, maybe, like, I'm a different person to when I was 20. I was a different person yeah. to when I came here 15 years ago. So, yeah, like, possibly. And the more of these I do, the maybe, the more confident I feel and... I don't know, like one of one of the really exciting things at the minute is I've surrounded myself at Reaction at One True with a, a really nice community that is really supportive and does give you confidence and does make you think, you know. On the Discord channel, we've got a wins channel. That's like a joy to be hold of. So if you're having a week where you're feeling like, oh, I've not got much done this week, or it's you know, it's a bit rubbish, someone in that collective will put a win on and you'll be like, Yes, like something's happening. And that just I don't know, you then get sucked into that. You feel like you're big, you're part of something much bigger. Like that win is your win. You're like, oh yeah, you know, this is, we're all in this together. We're doing this. So I guess that community probably will drag me into that space maybe. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks for doing it, mate. Much appreciated. Thank you. Are you coming uh, out this winter? uh, Yeah, I mean, I I need to. I'll be getting the train from Normandy, I think. And uh, yeah, we've got an appointment with the trout, haven't we? (laughs) Another appointment with the trout. Yeah, let's see, eh? So there you go. That was me and Gav, and I hope you enjoyed it. Now, I would love to know what you thought about the things we discussed. You can find out more about Reaction and Citizen Fridays by heading to their website, re-action-collective.org, where you can also find out about the other organizations they partner with and find out more about what they do, which is what it's all about, right? Right, no housekeeping corner this week. As I said at the top, I'm absolutely cream-crackered. It's been a busy month with loads going on. Um, I will say... 
that um, this will be out before the London Surf Film Festival, at which I'm doing some bits this year, as I believe the kids say. On Saturday, 25th of November at 4.45pm, I'm hosting a creative workshop called Why Am I Telling You This? Building Narrative in Film, Image, Word and Sound. I will be chatting to Big C writer Chris Nelson, my creative right-hand man Owen Tozer, composer CJ Mirror, and filmmakers Maddie Meddings and Rebecca Coley about their creative and storytelling approaches. Very much looking forward to that. Big bunch of my friends there. All got interesting workout, all doing very interesting things, and all love a chinwag. So that's I'm re- yeah, that's gonna be great. Soon after, at 6:45, I'm also gonna be hosting an exclusive screening of DB Fund winners Antoine and Eloise's new film, Turning Tides, which is very exciting because if you've been following the podcast for a while, you'll know that this is the culmination of an 18-month uh, project for me. Um, I started the DB Fund summer 2022 with my friends, as the name suggests, at DB. Our goal was to help some people at the beginning of their creative care- careers get a project off the ground. These two were one of our winners and they've managed it. They've got this edit of their film. Uh, it's not the full version. It's a short version ready for the festival. We're going to show this at the festival. I will be chatting to the pair afterwards and their DB mentor, Tim Myers, about the whole project and DB fund process on stage. Um, I'm also going to be chatting to Owen Tozer about his new film, which is being shown at the festival. So, yeah, it's going to be a good day, that one. Head to the London Surf Film Festival site for tickets for both these sessions. And if you're around, come say hello. I'll see you there. All right, I'm off to bed. See you next time. Nice one.